Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm welcoming Reverend Dr. Caleb J. Lines to the show. Caleb is Senior Minister of University Christian Church in San Diego. Additionally, he is the co-executive director of ProgressiveChristianity.org and is the co-host of the popular podcast, The Moonshine Jesus Show. Caleb has a passion for pursuing social justice for the marginalized, demonstrating the good news of God's radically inclusive love, and proclaiming a relevant message for today's ever-changing world. Caleb is the author of The Great Digital Commission, Embracing Social Media for Church Growth and Transformation, which we'll be talking about today. Caleb's writing has been featured in The Nation Magazine, Disciples News Service, Chalice Press, The Christian Left, The Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, The Center for Prophetic Imagination, The Convergence Leadership Project, and Sojourners. Caleb has a D-Men from Duke Divinity and a Master of Divinity from Yale. You can find out more about Caleb at calebjlines.com. Caleb, thanks for being here. What else would you like our listeners to know about you? Hey, thanks for having me, Lauren. So glad to be with you today. So I, I suppose one other thing that isn't in my bio is that I have always been a part of the church, and uh, some of my earliest childhood memories come from church. Uh, my grandfather was a Disciples of Christ pastor, like I am, and uh, I was, remember uh, being in the congregation he served in my little southwest Missouri town, and uh, it was this very 70s-clad building. It had uh, green shag carpet and wood-paneled walls, and I remember he and my grandma being at the back of the church one Sunday, greeting people as they were leaving. That was their tradition. I remember my my parents you know, just having conversation. I remember kind of crawling under the pews and running down the center aisle and climbing up the huge stairs. They seemed huge to me at the time on the chancel and grabbing my grandfather's spot behind the pulpit with the still live microphone and belting out, all my exes live in Texas. And that was my first time behind the pulpit. Wow. I'm still there. And so the church has been an important part of my life, uh, the, my, my entire life. It's been a, an important part of my journey. And I suppose that's, that's why I'm committed to ensuring that churches can thrive, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that whenever they are authentic places, they can be uh, great mediators of the divine presence. And so I, I am still in the church. Still trying to figure out how to do this thing uh, called religion and community together. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you, what Southwest Missouri town was that? Monette, Missouri. Do you know it? No. Have you ever been to Monette, Missouri, Lauren? I don't know. It has I... a whopping population of 7,000 people. Because I went to college in Springfield. No way. So I yeah. so I did my undergraduate degree in Springfield, Missouri, and I served a church in Springfield, Missouri before I came to uh, San Diego. Oh, interesting. Uh, did you go to? Uh, see, we're already off script here. Did you go to um, Missouri State? I did. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Well, I have a far different story of Baptist Bible College, so we'll have to talk more after the recording. That's Jerry Falwell's college, right? It is for our listeners. Uh, him and I were fellow alums. Uh, sadly, I had a picture of, with him at one point um, years ago, but that was kind of just when digital stuff was coming online. I didn't ever really get it downloaded. That, um, that's probably okay. <laughs> do you, do, I mean, do you, do you want a picture of you and Jerry Falwell hanging, I mean, <laughs> hanging for all your viewers to see right behind you? You probably know or have met Brandon Robertson, who has all kinds of pictures yep. with all kinds of evangelical celebrities. So that's true. Some yes, claim to that's fame. true. He does. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> oh. Well, good. Springfield, I, I'm convinced that all roads go through Springfield, Missouri. Uh, yeah. My office manager, his whole family is from San Diego. Just by happenstance, 
I, he was coming in to the, to the church to do his interview while I was hiring him. And he said, where'd you move here from? And I said, oh, Missouri. He said, I was born in a Catholic hospital in Springfield, Missouri. My family was on a road trip. They got in a car accident. I said, wow. no way. I was born in that same hospital. So wow. I said, you're hired. You're yeah. in. Wow. <laughs> All roads lead through Springfield. Springfield is an interesting town. Uh, here's another fun thing, Caleb. Since we're, you're just going to run off script here. I'm very good at that. Yeah, I like to chase white rabbits. I still own property in Springfield, Missouri. It's wild. It is. It is. I love it. All right. Um, you kind of shared about your past there a little bit in the church. Tell you, tell our listeners about what your faith looks like today. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, definitely a part of the progressive Christian movement. And so one of my roles is uh, leading progressivechristianity.org with a friend of mine, Mark Sandlin. And so I, I think that one of the things that I think that churches ought to be doing is striving to live authentically in the world. And I think churches often do a very bad job of that. Churches tend to be inauthentic places, or at least that's the perception. I mean, one of the main reasons given for people leaving the church is a lack of authenticity, a lack of being able to really practice what you preach. And so I think trying to lead churches to real lives of justice-seeking, peace-centered mission is kind of what what I strive to do, uh, and uh, certainly what our congregation in San Diego University Christian Church is striving to do is to try and be uh, a place that really practices what it preaches and uh, boils things down to the message of love. And Mm -hmm. how is it that we are making sure that everything that we do passes the criterion of love uh, in our lives and in our world? And so I think that that's uh, maybe the, the the most important thing to me at the moment is striving to live an uh, authentic life uh, as a pastor and an authentic life as a faith community and trying to embody uh, God's welcome and love and inclusivity. And I think that's especially important in a world where the Christian right has tended to control the narrative and uh, and has done some very harmful things. And, you know, most of the folks who are part of my church, and I think a lot of folks who um, are, are coming to churches like mine, uh, yeah. are folks who have been burned by the church and been away from religion for a very long time and need places that are going to welcome them as they are, are going to welcome them to be a part of this discerning spiritual journey as they are and uh, are going to walk that that journey with them without judgment. So I, I think that faith for me looks a lot like that right now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what are some spiritual practices that have sustained you maybe during these past two years or or are really meaningful for you? Okay, so Lauren, I'm terrible at spiritual practices. Uh, so uh, I, uh, especially if you think about traditional kind of spiritual yeah. practices, I am not good at staying still. And uh, things like meditative practice and all have been uh, important to me at various other times in my life, but I, I have a hard time with kind of quiet practices and stillness. And uh, I'm a bit of an extrovert. And so I think that one of the things that has become a real spiritual practice for me is conversation. And I have come to believe that conversations are prayers. And oh. so I think that things like this are are spiritually fulfilling for me, conversations like this. And I think one of the things that I really realized, especially in the midst of COVID as we were separated from one another, is how much community really is a spiritual practice, living yeah. in community. And I mean, is there really much of a more uh, challenging and rewarding spiritual practice than that, than trying yeah. to live in community together? I mean, uh, and I don't think I even realized uh, how big of an extrovert I was until, um, you know, we we're in the midst of the separation. And I'm like, oh, I, I feel fine. And then when when things started to uh, ease, you know, mm-hmm. restrictions started to ease, and I was able to be around people again, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel full of life Mm. once again because I'm able to be around people. And so I think that's a spiritual practice for me is being around others and and not thriving necessarily on the stillness, but thriving on the movement. And I see God in the midst of that that movement in, in my life. Yeah, that's great. You know, my favorite thing about extroverts as definitely an introvert is that y'all can carry the conversation when I, I want to talk, but don't really know how to get things going. Extroverts will just 
boom, bring out the conversation and then I can just run with it. So I appreciate y'all. Of course, then the problem is sometimes we just won't stop talking, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> and, and you have to say, okay, all right, that's enough. Fair enough. Well, we're here with Caleb today to talk about his book, The Great Digital Commission, Embracing Social Media for Church Growth and Transformation. And the first thing I want to say, Caleb, just about this book, and I think I mentioned to you in the email, I thought the the best thing about this book was that it was more perhaps theoretical than practical. I mean, there are some practical things you have in there. I thought some helpful stuff in the appendix for sure. But I know like I've gone through my fair share of social media for church books and like, you know, they're pretty much irrelevant after two years. And I think, I think this book will have some staying power because it's more theoretical than, um, than practical, or at least as, as far as like explaining how certain algorithms are, you know, who pretty much change every day, it seems like. But talk about kind of like what inspired you to write the book and kind of what influenced how it formed. Sure. So I did this book as a part of my doctoral research at Duke Divinity School. And I went into that program knowing that uh, I wanted to write about digital media. Mm-hmm. And not quite knowing exactly what that meant, but knowing that it was something that was important and knowing that uh, in my own ministry uh, up to that point, it had played an important role and I had seen the power of uh, using social media for church growth. And, uh, you know, I had, I had seen that happen in, to some degree at every congregation that I had served. And so I wanted to to look and say, hey, what is it? That, that makes a digital presence for a church really effective. And you know what they say? Uh, they say that in, when you're in the midst of writing a book like this, um, that you'll discover the book you want to write has already been written. Mm-hmm. And so once you discover that book, then you need to find your own take. And so as I started to do research on this, I discovered that that, yeah, the book that I thought I was going to write was a book, a, a how-to book mm-hmm. for churches. I was going to just look at churches that did this well, and I, I was going to say, and here are the strategies for having a, a, a wonderful digital presence. You do X, Y, and Z, and then, then it'll be perfect. And uh, I discovered exactly what you said, that uh, that whenever you do that, it's instantly out of date. <laughs> and I discovered that uh, that those books have been written. Mm-hmm. And so that led me to think, well, what's actually going on here whenever, whenever we're creating digital community online? What's happening? What, what, are, what are churches doing? And are they even able to create community online? And what are the risks and benefits? And as I started to talk uh, about this with my peers, I found some real resistance to digital media. And this was, you know, in the couple of years leading up uh, to 2020. So this was before we knew that the world was going to shut down. And some folks were actively resistant to their communities establishing a digital presence online at all because they thought that 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 did something inauthentic or, or right. it, it wasn't a true mediator of, of God's presence in the world. And I said, well, I, I think it, I think it is, but, but why? And so in the book, I, I was seeking to kind of look at how it is that churches actually create real authentic community online. Can it be done and how? And um, I think what I discovered is that yes, uh, churches can create real, authentic community online, but it's different than the type of community that is created in real, physical communities. Yeah, um, and uh, I think that the pandemic proved that that was true. That you absolutely, if you want to be a church that at least survives. In, mm-hmm. in this time period, you have to have a digital presence. You have to be actively thinking about people who are digital congregants. Yeah. But that often serves as a supplement, not as a substitute to real physical community. Because it is hard for relationships to develop online in the same way that they develop in real physical community. And you have to be very intentional about the ways that you develop that. Uh, In physical community, a lot of times 
relationships build naturally. You know, if you sit down in the pew next to somebody five minutes before the service starts and, you know, you're kind of waiting for something to happen and you strike up a conversation with that yeah, person, yeah. that's that's the kind of relationship that builds organically. Right. And, you know, you might go and sit next to that person next time or you might go and sit next to a, another person and you start to to build relationship and that's how community kind of forms. And if if you hear in a prayer request that, uh, that somebody going through a tough time, you know, you might after the service say, hey, what's going on? Could you tell me more about that? So community builds like that in a, a real natural way offline. Online, you have to intentionally create spaces for mm-hmm. that to happen. So I think for most people, um, it is real physical community that continues to nurture the soul. But the reality is that uh, that social media, the digital media, that all of that permeates our life and our society in such a way that churches cannot ignore that and expect uh, expect to survive, let alone thrive, yeah. in in this time period. And I, I think we did see that in in the midst of COVID nineteen, as churches said, "Oh wait." Uh, maybe we should have been thinking about this. Uh, and, uh, you know, now they're, now I think a lot of churches are struggling with a different issue, Lauren. And that's like, well, how long do we keep, do we keep social yeah. media or yeah. do we, or do we get rid of it? And if we get rid of it, does that mean that people will come flooding back? You know, <laughs> we'll just, we'll kill the tap on digital media and then everyone will come back uh, to the church. And I don't really think that that's a good solution. I think that's a bad idea because I don't think that's going to drive people back to the to the pews. I think that's going to um, disconnect people from yeah. from the church, and uh, I don't think they're likely to come back. I do think that if churches embraced COVID nineteen as you know as an opportunity, that they may have experienced growth. Our congregation certainly did. If they saw it as an opportunity and not as, you know, just something they were going to mutter their way through. Right. I I think that a lot of congregations who did that likely saw growth in yeah. the midst of all of us. Yeah. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you. Um, yeah. Is, I think that there's that temptation now of like saying, hey, we did this, you know, we want to keep we want to prioritize or emphasize physical community. So let's, you know, let's get, let's be done with this digital stuff. Plus when I think about the challenges of, you know, I've had this conversation with other folks on the pod is like, you know, doing the, the, the essentially like keeping everything and adding digital on top of it. Is it your thought? And we're, I'm kind of going off script here again. Is it your thought that churches should continue to prioritize like online digital methods of engagement they need to they need to prioritize both so mm-hmm. that you need to prioritize both physical community and digital community and you need to see them as one congregation but with different needs yeah right and and so that means that you're going to need to think about events, and I think anything that can be hybrid probably should be. Anything that can exist in an authentic way in a in a hybrid space, we need to be thinking about that. So, I mean, certainly churches need to continue live streaming and, and stuff like that. But but churches also need to be thinking about like, okay, well, can our how can our meetings continue to be hybrid? I think yeah. a lot of folks discovered, oh, hey, I don't have to commute to the church every right. time that there's a meeting, and right. that's that's okay. Or uh, churches, as they build uh, larger digital audiences, may find that uh, people can serve the church uh, in in authentic ways, even if they're at a at a distance you know we've had members on uh some of our uh some of our committees and things that that live far away and that's worked fine as long as we created the space so so i think things that can be hybrid probably need to be but not everything can be or needs to be yeah right so i think that means that some events need to be planned exclusively for a physical community. There are some things that are not going to translate into a digital space 
And that's fine. If there's a, an event that's, I don't know, going to be outside of the church, uh, it's okay if there's not a digital component to that. Right. You're going to have an Easter egg hunt. Uh, you don't need to create a digital Easter egg hunt yeah. or, or something like that. But what, whatever it is, uh, yeah. that's just a ridiculous example of, of something that churches do that you might need to think that, oh, well, maybe, maybe we need to create a, a digital version of that. No, that's okay. And it's also okay to create content that is uh, exclusively digital, right? So it's okay to have uh, a study that is a digital study. Like this, this study, this class is only going to be online mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going to be hybrid or it's not going to, there's not going to be a physical component and that kind of stuff is okay too. So I, I think that churches need to prioritize, uh, need to prioritize both communities. They, they need to be actively thinking about how it is that we're meeting the needs uh, of both groups, the physical community and the digital community. But you might almost think about it like, uh, like, a church with two services or mm-hmm. with multiple services, yeah. right? You still need to create ways for those congregations to interact together. Right. And the added complexity with a digital community is you've also got to create ways for the digital community to interact with other members of the digital community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so they need to they need to be able to interact with the physical community and they need to be able to interact with the the digital community. But but that's absolutely possible to do. You just need to create events where where people are able to still get to know each other um, and and create some vulnerability in a way that that builds relationship like it would happen organically if you were in the same physical space. Yeah. So while while I do want to get to more theoretical since I kind of lauded sure. the book on being theoretical. I think these kind of practical topics are important. Uh, talk maybe, if you would, what are some some big mistakes churches have made or are still making that you're seeing and some simple ideas maybe they could do differently? Sure. Uh, kind of practical mistakes in terms of, uh, in terms of thinking about, uh, the, the way that they're relating to the digital community. Is right. that what you're talking about? Lauren? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think big kind of red flag, uh, mistakes that, that hopefully people are cleaning up, uh, but, but are, are still uh, mistakes I see a lot are, are things like, you know, uh, having poorly, run live stream services. Um, I, so churches have different financial situations, right. but look, it, you, you got to prioritize too. Um, and we are living in a day where uh, we have seen that, that things can change rapidly. And the only way that people might have to relate to a faith community is a, a digital presence. It's worth spending money on uh, good equipment and and at least training for people to run it or a skilled team to run it uh, so that you know so that your live stream runs smoothly that being said the the thing about technology is it's great when it works and there are <laughs> always times when it doesn't and it doesn't always. matter how much training you've got in right. it doesn't matter how much experience doesn't matter how good the equipment is sometime it's not going to work yep. and you know you're going to have to fly by the seat of your pants and stuff so i think it's also training people to be okay with the unpredictability of it to say Hey, look, we're going to do our best, but at the end of the day, we're a church. Yeah. Uh, we're, we've got volunteers. You know, things aren't always going to go 100% smoothly. Bear with us, be patient, um, and, and, and support us along the way. But so that's, that's one of the big things. Uh, another big thing is um, uh, websites that are out of date. And uh, social media feeds, I think, that don't authentically really reflect the the church and who who it is and who it's striving to be. So this is one of the things I talk about quite a bit in the book. And and that's using social media as a tool to amplify a church's unique voice. Yeah. And so I, I think that congregations do need to understand who they are 
And I think a lot of congregations don't have a clue yeah. who they are. Yeah. Uh, and especially, I'll, I'll speak from for my own people, mainline Protestant folks. Mm-hmm. You know, for a very long time, what it meant to be mainline Protestant, you know, was it was just that most folks in in the country identified as a mainline. That's why it was the mainline, right? So right. a lot of folks, if you said you're a Protestant, they meant that you went to one of these mainline Protestant churches, and all a mainline Protestant church had to do to grow was to move into a neighborhood where there was some growth right. and throw a sign up and people would come, yep. right? It was uh, it was something that was built into our culture. A new church is there. There's a new sign. Wonderful. If the preaching is halfway decent, you got a congregation that's going to grow. Right. That is not the way that things work anymore. And so mainline Protestants in particular have been really, really bad about knowing, like, uh. What what are we doing here? Uh, who who are we? Uh, what is it that we're even trying to do? And I think for a lot of churches, uh, one of the reasons for that is because the church culture has been so entwined with with larger culture mm-hmm, that it's mm-hmm. it's been like a social club and it, right. it's not had anything distinctive to really set it apart. So I think churches, especially at this point in time, need to be doing a lot of discerning about who they are and who they are uniquely called to be in in their particular context. And I mean, it's easy to say, well, you know, we're a part of the body of Christ and we're right. trying to follow Christ. And that's that's kind of a cop out. You know, uh, that's true. But every congregation is different and every congregation is able to serve God in a different way, depending on their local context. And you got to know what that is and you got to know uh, who you are. So, for instance, uh, my congregation is in the historic LGBT neighborhood in San Diego, it would be ridiculous to have a congregation that is not aware of that right. and is not striving to meet the needs of that community, right? Because then you're not living authentically into, into who you're called to be in that particular context. So a congregation needs to discern who it is and, and where it's going. And so one of the things that I argue is that you need to do some work on mission and vision statements and some core values. And this was something that a few years ago I would have been like, that is such a waste of time. (laughs) Why would churches bother doing that? You know, all all they do is they sit around for hours on end, they come up with these perfectly crafted statements that they don't do anything with. And by and large, that's actually true. A lot of churches do spend a whole lot of time uh, working on this stuff and then don't spend any time implementing them. But here's, here's what I'm saying, Lauren. The distinction is you need to spend time crafting those then you need to let them guide yeah. your life as a congregation. And so, uh, in practical terms, we did this uh, a few years ago, uh, and and I think you should reevaluate these every five years at least. But yeah, that's good. That's a good time frame. Yeah, yeah, uh, at least. Uh, and and think about whether it's still, language changes, your mm-hmm. mission changes, mm-hmm. all of that. But but think about who it is that you are, your mission statement, who it is that you are striving to be, and then. I, I think core values are very helpful too because yeah. uh, that that articulates it in a way that that is understandable for all of you in the community that are trying to do something and for folks who are who are outside the community and uh, I think that then when you are able to express that through social media it can be a powerful tool for growth so let me give you an example of what I mean here so one of our core values is that we are. Um, an environmentally conscious congregation, Mm -hmm. that we strive to be good stewards of the earth that God has given to us. And so one of the things that we have done is we have created a climate hub on our campus. Hmm. Uh, We have a a huge 1960s campus. We're in the process of redoing it at the moment. But one of the things we said is, hey, we got a lot of space here. Let's bring on organizations that are compatible with our core values and help us live more fully into them. So we created a climate hub, five environmental justice nonprofits who are doing uh, climate justice work much better than we can do on our own individually as a church. And we've created partnerships with those folks, right? And they are on our campus. So I think one of the ways that you might use social media as a tool to express that is you might be able to say, look at the wonderful work that the Climate Hub is doing. Uh, 
we believe in the mission of the Climate Hub because of our core value that that God has entrusted the care uh, the care of the Earth mm-hmm. to us. And uh, and if you're able to show that, if you're able to show like something that you're doing and show that it is a part of like your core value, what you've said that you, that you um, you value as a church, not only does that show that the church is active in doing something, but it also displays authenticity. Right. Yeah. You you get to the core of that that we were talking about earlier, Lauren, that, that so many people believe that the church is inauthentic. And yet, if you're able to say, hey, look, we have said that we care about the earth and we are practicing what we preach, then it displays to folks that 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 there's a church that's striving to um, to be who it says it is. You know, yeah. we, I don't think we can combat the global decline of the church uh, right. or perception of of how people perceive Christianity altogether but you can do it as a single congregation yeah. and you can say and you can have people say hey um most of christianity inauthentic uh most of christianity isn't in practicing what they preach but but that congregation maybe maybe i can get on board with what they're doing um and uh and i think that that's an invitation for people uh, to to get involved and and certainly we've seen that uh, lead to church growth for us and uh, and it has transformed church as well. Yeah, and another simple example I'm thinking about for that social media thing is like I think generally speaking, people like um, when organizations or institutions kind of highlight good things happening in the community. So it's like a double win where like they think, oh, this is not just a church that's just self-centered, self-focused, all about like telling about what they're doing. They're highlighting good things happening in the community. Yeah. And uh, another, another interesting example of how this happens is even, even for folks who, who aren't ever going to step foot in the church, right? It builds uh, your relationship with the community, yeah, right. So, so two, so two of our other core values are being open and affirming. So, this congregation was the first uh, open and affirming church in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Southern California. It's a part of who we are, an important part of who we are. Another is that we're striving to be a pro-reconciling, anti-racist uh, congregation. Right, we're trying to uh, to build a diverse community. So, like out in front of our church, we have rain- the rainbow doors that a lot of churches have. God's doors are open to all. We have those on our pillars, and and we've had a Black Lives Matter banner, right? Two of, two of our two of our core values displayed. Yeah. Well, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, uh, bo- those things were vandalized. There was paint put on a Black Lives Matter banner, and uh, the rainbow doors were torn down twice. Um, and so it made news. We got news coverage on this, right? Like, oh, it's awful that this is happening to a church, and it was. But here's the interesting thing. It was people in the community who responded to that and who cared. They're like, how awful that this is happening to a church that is standing up for justice. Folks who weren't ever going to come, right. and they weren't religious, they weren't interested in that, but they loved our church. Yeah. Uh, and if, if push came to shove, if you had to say, uh, if those folks had to say, well, what's an example of real religion? They'd say, that church right there. Yeah. And, and so those folks rallied around. They fundraised for the wow. church. You know, for like a banner. Wow. And like for for doors. I mean, it's inexpensive. It's paint, right? And and, uh, and a banner. Um, but, but those folks cared about the mission of the church because they saw it displayed out in front of the church. And then they saw what happened to the church on social media. And they rallied on social media around the church. Yeah. And I said, that's the way that churches build real authentic community, uh, internally and externally with the folks who are around them. So I, I think it can be really powerful if you're really able to to live out that that mission, vision, core core value kind of stuff. And if you put a lot of thought into really developing them and, and into how you're really living them out. Yeah. Well, I want to talk to you about a couple more things here. Um, sure. And I told you this offline before we started recording or in emails. Your church has fabulous, and I mean fabulous branding. Um, it's University Christian Church, right in San Diego, um, folks. If you if you've not seen it, go look up their logo and branding. I think is just incredible, and I'm I'm obsessed with good branding. But me saying that word, that word branding, mm-hmm. uh, will turn some people off. And trust me, I get it. Like. 
I've done marketing class and like it can be disgusting and slimy, but tell our listeners why is branding uh, more than just trendy graphics? Yeah. I I mean, I think people need to get over like, uh, well, well, this is business and it can't be in the church Mm -hmm. or it's the same with like finance. It's like, Oh, you can't talk about finances because this is the church. Like, no, actually, that's just responsible leadership. Yeah. And I think the same is true when we're thinking about how it is that we're displaying our, our message uh, to the community, right? So I think that one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit is that people have a pretty negative perception of yeah. Christianity. Yeah. And um, you, you can't fight that as a, an individual congregation. You can't say, let's take on. Uh, people's perception of the universal church, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as I, I was talking about just a moment ago, you can't take that on as a congregation. But people need to be able to recognize who you are. People need to see that you are a unique kind of congregation. And I, I know that this probably is going to sound like hyper-Americanized, individualistic yeah. Yeah. kind of Christianity. And and. To some degree, it is. I mean, that's my social context, right? right? right. Uh, and we, we can try to separate ourselves from that, but uh, it's the reality of the world we live mm-hmm. in, and it's the reality of the people who are going to come to your church, that they expect uh, they expect to be able to have some kind of brand identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think, uh, and you can use whatever language you want, if, if brand identity uh, sounds sounds wrong, uh, you know, you, could, you can say... I mean, I think it goes back to yeah. your point about distinction. It does. It is. It, it, it's exactly about distinction, right? Because uh, because then when people see a, a logo that that they recognize, whenever people uh, have a visual image of a church, then it helps them to recognize. Oh, uh, that that's the church that had those uh, rainbow doors yeah. and the Black Lives Matter banner. And I, so I think that it also needs to be intentional. Yeah. And so uh, we didn't choose to use denominational logos. For ours, I mean, a lot of a lot of churches do that. Right. They use denominational right. logos. Um, people uh, don't care about the denomination. I, some people do. I do. You probably do. Right. Right. Some people do. Unchurched people do not care. The vast majority of folks, they do not <laughs> care. They don't care. They, you know, if you if you're a Presbyterian, apologies to our denominational leaders. <laughs> <laughs> they need to be aware of it. And they know they are, they ought to know. They? Uh, but like, if you're a Presbyterian and you're living in one town and you move to another town, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a Presbyterian, right? right? You're going to look for uh, a church that reflects your values, right? And so, I think that uh, I, I think that then having a, a logo that reflects who you are as a congregation is important. So, like for our logo, we've got a little chalice, mm-hmm. right? And so. Um, that's that's because we're affiliated with we're affiliated with two denominations: the Christian Church Disciples of Christ and the United Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, the denominational colors, like the red from the red chalice and disciples, is in our logo, and the kind of light blue from the UCC comma logo, the current version of that, is in our logo. Um, but but the chalice is still important to us, right? We still celebrate communion every week, and we believe that that kind of shows how how it is that we're supposed to be in the world that that Jesus went to tables to break down barriers and that's what we tried to do as well. So chalice was important. Um uh but then we used uh little pieces uh that kind of look like stained glass windows that mm-hmm. were uh reflective of our own stained glass windows right. here. But it was also almost a rainbow right. to to show that uh that it was uh you know that we were LGBT affirming. And so I, I think giving some thought into your logo and keeping it simple and crisp, that's the best advice I could give on uh logo is make it uh, simple and crisp. Don't try to put too much in there. You know, I'm and a, get someone who knows what they're doing. I'm a yeah. church nerd, so maybe maybe I'm somewhat you know, can see these things that others may not. But as I told you in the email, like when I saw your logo, I saw like, I saw denominational ties. I saw intent to, to, to represent your emphasis on diversity or LGBT stuff. I saw um, the historicity and the stained glass stuff. I saw the denominational ties, like all that came through to me in the logo. And, and I think that's what I want, and I'm sure you agree with this for our listeners. Like, this is what I get a good logo, a good branding does. It's not like that's inauthentic or uh, misconstruing who you are. When it's good branding, good logo, good marketing, it's authentic to who you are. It communicates your values and what you're about, and that's why that's why I loved your your branding. 
Well, it makes me feel good. We put a lot of thought and work into that. And so uh, I'm glad that it's shining through the stained glass little pieces in that logo. Yeah. Okay. Any like, uh, well, since we're on like the branding logo thing, you, you mentioned like simple. I know like I'm a big fan of like monochromatic logos, branding. I mean, what else you got here? <laughs> so, I, well, I would say it, you don't. I would say don't try to do it yourself. Probably <laughs> uh, most churches like yeah, th- yeah. this is this is going to be the thing that people are going to see first when, when they're thinking about your church. You're, you know, you're probably going to put it on your sign. You're going to put it on your shirts. Uh, you're going to put it up on your website. You're going to put it on your social media. Think about it. Think about it. And I. I would say higher graphic design in in the grand scheme of things, it's not all that expensive. I don't know what we paid for ours, mm-hmm. uh, a couple thousand dollars or something for someone to do the the work. That's money very well spent. Uh, hire hire someone who knows what they're doing. Uh, that would be that would be my biggest. Uh, my, and don't and be okay with going back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, m- make sure you've thought. And I, I think even before that, um, the mission, vision, va- core values thing is important yeah. because that fr- that has framed almost every decision we've made as a congregation over the last seven years, and uh, including the logo mm, that mm-hmm. uh, that whenever we gave it to the graphic designer, we said, and it needs to reflect this. Yeah, uh, find a way to reflect this uh, because this is who we are. And, uh, and, and that was helpful. So, um, you know, you, you could do something like on Canva or like on logo, but I I wouldn't recommend that. I I would, I'd recommend like actually uh, hiring someone and who can give you all the versions of the logo you need. You know, you're going to need more than just a JPEG, a low res uh, JPEG. Now we're getting into it. Yeah, well, you're. I mean, you're just gonna if you're if you're gonna make banners and you're gonna do uh, all that kind of stuff. You need you need different versions of the logo um, and different color schemes and and all of that as well. Well, uh, as much as I'm enjoying this kind of hot graphic design talk, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can really get into yeah. that. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Caleb Lyons and. Uh, enjoying the graphic design talk here uh, i'm i'm just i'm not at all artsy my wife is i'm not but i, I really appreciate good art good design so uh, i'm here for it um so some closing questions you can take as seriously or not as you'd like to uh, but if you're pope for a day what does that day look like what do you want to do that kind of thing Okay, well, the first thing I do as Pope for the day is uh, I uh, talk about uh, how the Catholic Church's stance on uh, on abortion needs to needs to be changed, right? So we we see that uh, uh, we see the rights of women being ripped away uh-huh. right now, and uh, I think that uh, Pope has some real power to talk about that, especially since uh, you know uh, the the. We're grasping at straws, trying to define life at conception, and uh, and there's no evidence of that in the Bible, right? The Bible yeah. is is uh, the Bible defines life later than we currently do, mm-hmm. right? The Bible defines life after uh, children are born. Uh, ch- you know, the infant mortality rate was so high in the ancient world that uh, that uh, uh, you had to wait until the naming ceremony before you were considered alive. And in most ancient cultures, you know, you had to be alive for a year before you were really considered to be a real living human being. There's not any biblical evidence uh, for any of that. Uh, so I think if I were Pope for a day, uh, I, w- I would use my privilege and my power uh, to stand up for women who are being marginalized at the moment. That's some big changes right there. That's some big changes. That's right. That's why that's they're not ever going to make me pope, Lauren. No. I don't. I don't think I got it. Do you think I've got a shot? I mean, I think I'd look really good with like the hat. Well, that's funny. The, I I was expecting you. So many people name the hat is the thing they want to look forward to. They, they want it. Is that, is that a miter? Is that what it's called? I think that's is, right. You, yeah, you I think know. that's right. Yeah, I don't know. And the the cane. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Yeah, I don't know if I would want to to meet or or bring bring anyone back to life necessarily. Um, but 
I, I will say the the theologian who's had the most impact on my own journey is Marcus Borg. I, I did meet him, uh, but I, I think that meeting Jesus again for the first time is the reason that I'm still in the church. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I was... I was, you know, a religious studies major at a secular university, and we tore the Bible on apart. And even though I grew up in a, a liberal congregation, uh, which is weird in mm-hmm. southwest Missouri, mm-hmm. who knew mm-hmm. they even existed, but yeah. they do. And so uh, I grew up in one, but still, like, as, as we were deconstructing the Bible, I'm like, well, but what's the point? And then yeah. uh, a campus minister friend of mine handed me that book and said, here, read this. Wow. I said, ah, this is the point. Uh, the the point is that uh, as uh, as John Dominic Crossan would say that that Jesus is what God looks like in sandals and you know for me uh, Marcus Borg articulated that in a way that um, that kept me in the church that I I said okay I I can still I can follow the ethical teachings of Jesus in a way that uh, that is authentic to me and it actually deepens my spirituality and uh, and as I've gone on that path, I've found my spirituality deepen over time in unexpected ways. And so I think that if I had to name like a theologian who's had the most impact on my life, it would be it would be Marcus Borg. That's interesting. We'll have to talk more offline, but I have a very similar story with that book. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk more here later. Um, uh, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? I think that we're going to remember this as a super weird time. This has been this has been really weird all around. You know, I mean, culturally, it's been weird uh, as we've as we've seen this uh, rise of uh, nationalism and uh, these these kind of white nationalists, yeah. not just in the United States but around the world. Yeah. So I think that's a scary trend that we've seen, and I think we'll look back and uh, recognize that as scary. I think we'll also look back at this this time at, uh, with COVID and all as being super weird and being a pivotal turning point. So I think in in two different ways. I think one in recognizing that yeah, digital for the church especially recognizing that yeah, digital content is here to here to stay. We're not going to escape that. But also as a, a turning point in which we we realize that physical community, that real living relationships, are extremely valuable as well. And one of the things that I didn't talk about earlier, but I think is essential, Lauren, to, to recognize is that real community is, imp- is important when it, when it is physical. It also is possible in digital spaces too. Mm-hmm. But so often what we have is something that I, that I write about that, that uh, new religion scholars or new media scholars call um, uh, networked individualism. And I think that that's what we experience a lot is when whenever we're using social media just as our own individual selves um, and we're not connecting in any way, that study after study shows that whenever you use social media in that way, which I think is the, the vast majority right. of how people use it, that, um, that that leads to feelings of anxiety and depression and increased social isolation. And so, um, so I think that that churches have a unique role in this. That that this can be a turning point for churches to recognize that when a lot of people use social media, it's it's leaving them with real negative experiences, real negative feelings, whether they recognize it immediately or not. But churches can be a tool to create community in the midst of otherwise uh, individualistic tendencies and otherwise disconnection. And so, so I think we'll see it as, if, if we're smart, the churches will see this as a turning point towards living in this next phase of what it means to be Christian in, in the 21st century. What makes you hopeful then? What makes you hopeful for the future? So um, I, I'm I'm always hopeful. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm an eternal optimist or not, but I'm, I'm always hopeful. And uh, here's the thing. I, the church in its current form can die. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, that even though I love, I love the church, that a, a lot of what we experience as church these days 
isn't really authentic to uh, the teachings of Jesus. It, it's not really doing a good job, and it's okay that it it's dying because it's it's not really uh, being a good mediator of God's presence. Uh, but what makes me hopeful is that the church that is coming forth, and this scares a lot of people, but I, I'm okay with it. I like it. the The church that is coming forth, I think, is a more authentic yeah. church. Uh, it's it's filled with people, even if there are fewer people, it's filled with people who really want to to authentically live into the calling of what it means to be Christian community, that, that they really want to strive to live a different kind of life with, with some different values that aren't entirely self-centered, but, but are focused on creating this realm of God on earth. And uh, I'm hopeful about that. But I do think that that it doesn't have to be uh, a place where there are fewer people. Yeah. That that yeah. you know a lot of a lot of folks have left the church, but study after study shows that even though there are more people who are like nuns, n- not affiliated with anything in mm-hmm. particular, right? That they still believe in, in something. Right. That they still are interested in spirituality. That many of them still consider themselves Christians. They just consider the church, yeah. the institutional church, yeah. to be a poor mediator of God. And so if you're able to do that authentically, I think we're building then uh, a truer Christian community uh, and we're we're actually living into to who we are supposed to be, and I think people are attracted to that because that's what they want. At the end of the day, people seek and long for life changing experiences. So I'm hopeful about that. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I am too. That sounds great. Um, I think that's something people, like you said, they want to be a part of. They want that, and I'm sure your prayer is like mine that that faith communities can can live into that that kind of hopeful meaningful presence for folks yeah and i've already said i think conversations are prayers so i think i think that we are we are praying that right now Amen. That, that that kind of community is created in more and more spaces well uh tell our listeners where they can connect with you and get a copy of the book sure so you can um uh, connect with me uh, at calebjlines.com. You can check out our church, uchristianchurch.org, the letter U, christianchurch.org. If you're interested in progressive Christianity, you can look uh, up what we're doing there at progressivechristianity.org. Uh, if you're interested in uh, me talking about uh, uh, pop culture and uh, and theology and politics with my friend Mark Sandlin, you can check us out at the Moonshine Jesus Show, wherever you are uh, getting your podcasts. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm grateful to have had this opportunity to to talk with you, Lauren, and uh, hope folks will will reach out and connect if they need anything, need help getting started. And of course, you can purchase the book uh, through Whipfinstock. Uh, you can go to their website. You can get it. Uh, uh, wherever you get books online as well. Well, thanks so much for your time, and uh, may God's peace be with you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.